Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and especially equipping for pastors and teachers and other leaders who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is David Drury, uh, regular on the show, friend of the show, uh, my own brother, a, a fellow pastor and student of the word, and he is the uh, chief of staff for the uh, Wesleyan Church and the author of, uh, I don't know, 10 plus books. Uh, so check out his stuff. Our text this week is Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this show on to others through social media or send them a text, someone you think might enjoy it, um, so that they'll uh, enjoy and benefit and be edified there too. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Dave. I really do feel like this passage is, it sucks for a leader to read. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's a hard, hard passage. So yeah. I feel like um, you and I have had some fun passages to talk about that That's were true. really, uh, some really fascinating, interesting things. This one's fascinating, interesting, but mostly because it's negative. So I feel it's the perfect passage to talk about during COVID and yeah. racial strife and political infighting. Ah, yeah. Good call. <laughs> Well, let's let's jump in. Do you want to read the read the text and a translation of your choice? Sure, sure. Uh, so this is chapter seventeen of Exodus, verses one through seven. And all the community of Israelites journeyed onward from the wilderness of sin on their journeyings by the Lord's direction. Then they encamped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And the people disputed with Moses, and they said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you dispute with me, and why do you test the Lord? And the people thirsted for water there. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us up from Egypt to bring death on me and my children and my livestock by thirst? And Moses called out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? Yet a little more and they will stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of Israel's elders and the staff with which you struck the Nile. Take in your hand and go. Look, I am about to stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out from it and the people will drink. And thus did Moses do before the eyes of Israel's elders. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, testing and dispute for the disputation of the Israelites and for their testing of the Lord, saying, is the Lord in our midst or not? Lord, bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for 
your word, your word spoken to Moses, empowering him to meet the needs of your people, though with uh, complexity and difficulty. And Lord, we are thankful for your written word, that this story has been written down and handed down to us. And we are thankful most of all for your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who is the center and substance of all your words and the whole voice of scripture. And so, engrafted into the people of God by his Jewish flesh, we uh, para-Gentiles here (laughs) ask that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to what the word of God is saying uh, to us in our time. So guide us by your spirit that we may be receptive to your word, not only for our sake, but for the sake of all those listening in and for the sake of those whom they uh, live with and serve and teach and guide and shepherd. So we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. What a doozy. So uh, what what are you noticing? What What's grabbing you today in terms of just observations, little Little details, little patterns, questions that it's raising for you. What's uh, what's grabbing you today? Well, first of all, I just love the idea of journeying onward from the wilderness of sin. <laughs> what a great name. I've lived in a few places that I would have called that. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then the, the, the contrast uh, where it says on their journeyings by the Lord's direction but then they're complaining about Moses having led them there. So it's like specifically, you know, this chapter saying by God, by, by God's mouth, right. He told them to go where they're going yet. They're saying it's Moses. I think it's in verse three, right. They said, you led us here. So it's like, well, no, I didn't lead us here. God led us here. And that feels like it jumps out to me. And then obviously the word dispute and test, which is like all over this dispute, dispute. And then he ends up just naming the place, not after the provision, but after the dispute. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is striking because before you get to seven, it'd be possible to then think of it as a sort of positive turn. Like, and yay, we got saved. Right. right? But it actually like ends some on of the a, other stories. Yeah. yeah. Ends on a downbeat for sure. Yeah, that mention of the kind of the Lord explicitly hiding, highlighting that Adonai directed them and then right. them saying, you brought us here. But then interestingly, you have Moses engaging in a subtle back and forth, too, of the agency of God and the, and the prophet in two when he asks, he said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Adonai? So. Yeah. There is a kind of he merges his leadership with God. Yeah, and as as we leaders are prone to do, leaders are prone to uh, deflect it to God when yeah. it's bad for us. But then <laughs> right. we'll sometimes right. say, "Well, but my leadership's an extension of God when it's good for us." Right, right. And I think it's an important Moses. It is great. It's it's, it's helpful to to see this 
there is, the truth probably does lie between these extremes, right? Because mm-hmm. because a quick sort of deflection won't do either. You know, you can't get yourself yeah. off the hook by saying, "Well, it's the Lord that was leading you. I'm just hanging around." You know, some yeah. some some ministers can play that card too heavy as an overcorrection to the kind of man of True. God speaks for God thing. And so I, I, I did, I missed that shift of the heavy explicit reference in verse one to the Lord's word, which of course would have come through Moses. Mm-hmm. And then they actually right. don't explicitly take up. Um, they don't make an accusation of the Lord directly no. until the last no. line that's kind of more the narrator summing up the gist. They actually never said that line at the end of verse seven. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting. And, and it's Moses who says that. Yeah. Right. Cause he's naming it. That's kind of his. Yeah. yeah. And for the testing of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. So the, hmm. and you're right about these being these key words, your translation went with what was the, it was dispute. I thought that was dispute and helpful. test are the two words. What is yours? So at the very end, or you mean earlier on? Uh, well, both, I presume it's the same word. Yeah. So Masa and Meribah are at the end. And then of course it's mentioned twice in seven, both words. Right. Or are there different words? I don't know. Let me take a look. Masa. While you're looking at And then, because of the rib, rib is oh, so the contention. Different. Yeah, um, so that's an important word. We'll come back to that. Which quarrel or I'll Quarreling. say something about cognizant, um, and they tempted the Lord. The testing, right. and those are kind of like quasi synonym words for each of those, Got it. but they're Got distinct it. words. So the rib is a. I'll just comment quickly on that. Or you said there was something you were going to say while I was looking that up. Go ahead. No, no, no. Let's talk about that. I mean, if you want to go stay in verse seven, unless you want to back up. Well, it's, it's earlier too, because I noticed it when I was just in, in the hymn of what I am calling the hymn of leadership. Why do you dispute with me? And why ah, do you test ah. the Lord? I feel like anybody that has influence over other people or has a community they're leading or frankly, even children. They're leaving. Yeah. Yep. So and resonate with this. Like, why are you arguing? The hymn of leadership. I love it. Uh, right. Like it's it's you know why and then that sense of kind of to heaven. Like, why are you even testing the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. So in that little hymn that you said at the end of of two verse two, mm-hmm. it's, same thing. You know why teribun right reeb is in it's okay. the verb form. Why are you contending? Or this is the verb that's used, or it's a noun in the prophets when God picks a fight with the people. Okay. So this is like a, a quasi technical term. It's used a lot in the Hebrew Bible. Right. So reeb, R I B, but it's not rib, it's a reeb. Um, a reeb is a, an accusation. It would be like, it's kind I, of a court, kind of a court yes, kind of context. Yes. Like I'm, I'm bringing an accusation, yes, an indictment against you. So it can also be used for a plea, like when you're begging. If if there's a power differential, okay, gotcha. I'm, yeah. You can even have a reeb, like if a, you know, maybe a a community sends their elders a to claim. a king to say, hey, you yeah. you you're mistreating us. Your soldiers right. are taking our sheep. That would be a reeb, yeah. right? 
Yep. So it has a night that that's a helpful term to have in the. So then Maribas, see RB is in Maribas, right? Okay. So then you can see how it's kind of hiding in the word. How about the next word? How about test? Is that just temptation? Tempting yeah. the Lord? I think so. Let me talk though. Masa. That's definitely the pattern of this whole thing. He, it's in the hymn in verse two. It's, it's in verse seven, like you said, in yeah. the name and then Masa and Meribah, and then it's testing and dispute or, or dis, or, and then they flip it, right? It's a Kasman seven. Yep. Right. It's, yep. It's, it's, uh, uh yeah. For their test. Tenasun, right? right. So it's, it's NASA. So you've got the, uh, mm. so I was wrong when I said they were synonyms. I think they are kind of variants, right? So Masa has that, you know, NASA is N A S A H would be a tempt or test. You know, first mm. time it's used is in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, and is it flipped in the original? Is it, Oh, I want to look at that. Yeah. Is it test and dispute and then dispute and test in seven? Yeah. Let me check like a BBA. Cause it is I'm in my translation. Slow. Yeah. So it's Masa Meribah. So yep. test and dispute uh, contend or, dis or dispute. Contend. I like dispute disputes. Nice. Here's my dispute that, that brings out the legal valence that I think alt you're okay. using alter today, right? Yeah. He, he's he good. Usually at is so finding the right English words. Yep. And some of it's he, he's, he's not just the key is not just his Hebrew mastery. It's his English mastery. English mastery. Find yeah. the English word that has the same con connotation. Connotation for us. Yep. <laughs> That's right. He's so good. Massa and, and Meribah. And, and, then and then there's two Reeb. sentences about it. Yep, it is. It is. It is. It is a, is it is a chiasm. Yep. Good eye, bro. Check you out. <laughs> well, I don't know the Hebrew, but I do love English. Well, so what, a what good I translation is, is going to capture that. Yeah, right. That's the whole. Um, so the whole passage of the seven verses is sort of starts with this little hymn and then it ends with it and sort of doubles down on it with the chiasm. So there's this yeah. sense in which dispute and test is the key. And that's what this is. And of course, this is such a key passage for Moses's life, which we'll get to later. But I, I feel like, um, and then the word murmur shows up in verse three, which murmuring is kind of, I would say if I, if you were to say what, what's the word you would use to describe the Israelites in the wilderness, yeah. even at a children's book level, children's Bible level, I would say grumbling or murmuring. Yes. I think I probably learned those words from the Bible or from a parent using the word referencing these people about me. Uh, but it's kind of that murmuring and grumbling. And I, I, it's so hard for me. And, and it, maybe it's wrong, but I often think of parenting when I think of these relationships between Moses and the people in the wilderness. And it, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a sort of a dark encouragement to every parent when you read these kind of passages, like, Oh, I, yeah, I've been there too. And why did you bring us um, out of Egypt to bring death? The other thing I noticed in verse four is it's first person. Again, I don't know the Hebrew, but altar usually translates those things pretty precisely. So it's, it, I would read that as like, if I was bringing up a complaint for a group, like if let's say I was going to go to my city council and say my whole neighborhood's ticked off about the school system, which is which is happening these days. But uh, let's say I would go, and then I might come, and I would speak at the podium in this dispute, right? But I would maybe 
tell a story about me and my children, like my children canning blank, blank, blank. And that's powerful all the way back in the wilderness, right? To have the speaker say, this is about me and my livestock and my children and me, I'm going to die. Yeah. What shall I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that verse four, that making it his own kind of strategy. Yes, but I'm even meaning what the people say in verse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first part of verse four. I'm saying the person speaking for all of Israel that's sort of a, they're not yes. names, but you can kind of read into them that there is this spokesperson of the people. Yes, I you see. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? They grumbled and against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so here's my contention. So Alter translates that in the singular. Why is, have you brought us up from Egypt to bring death on me and my children and my livestock Brilliant. by for thirst? So it's this uh, sort of personalization of the dispute. It's singular. That's why I, that's it is why singular. I think, yeah, yeah so, I double checked it. Yep. He's so helpful when I get well, it. Well, even, even my stinking knowing in- Hebrew. Yeah. Even my stinking interlinary is translating the interlinary that I've got open right now right. on Bible Hub. It's got it in the plural in the English under it. But if you look yeah. at the if you look Either. at the analysis right under it, it's all second. Right. It's, it's all why math. getting a good translator is so helpful to someone like me that doesn't know the Hebrew. Because see, I was able to do that without knowing the Hebrew just because he's because it's weird. It sounds weird yes. that he's saying bring death on me and my children. You're like me. Who's talking now? And so you have to look at it and say, well, it's all for singular. That's why I was able to think about, boy, if I was going to go to my school board and complain, I would tell my story, right? My children can't go to school. That's a huge observation, right? Yeah. I just missed it because it's the end of three. It's the end. It's like three B, right? And then begins four. four. Yeah. Right. Well, you're right. I think you're right. But you're right. And and the read, the, the notion of a kind of, like you said, like a school board meeting, it's the witness who comes forth. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now it could be that. For. Yeah. I think some translators I'm guessing are probably because it's confusing a and B perhaps knowing that you can speak in a singular as a kind of collective singular, right? Like yeah, right. the, the nation, right. The people yeah. as yeah, a singular, right. Good point. but I think, I think it, the personalizing of it's really classy. The Royal eye. <laughs> yeah. But I think, Keeping it in the singular is kind of fun because you almost get to picture another character in the story, the yeah. spokesman for the people. Yeah. Huh. Why have you brought me? Yeah. And yep. then the other thing is, I don't know. Is there another time when Moses thought he was going to get killed by the people? Cause the, the, uh, you know, a little more and they will stone me that really escalates the tension of this whole deal. He's not just, and it just reminds me, I just heard of somebody that's, you know, on the edge of being removed from their church because of a big dispute. I'll use, I'll use the term from this passage Mm. in their church. And they're they're It changes the tenor of things. Like I'm not going to have health insurance a month from now. Like it just changes it. And it seems like Moses is, is deeper in the pits on this one than any other section. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great question. Take a break and come back. Cause it kind of asks the question of locating it in the larger mm-hmm. Exodus flow okay. and Moses relationship. So let's take a quick break and come Perfect. back and start with that. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text here with Dave Drury, and we're talking about Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Now, before the break, Dave, you brought up the question of, has it gotten this intense before, or will it again? Kind of how does this fit in the larger right. narrative the flow? That. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head either. Interestingly, I mean, behind the curtain for listeners, we don't, I don't always record these episodes in order <laughs> and we're actually like a little ahead. <laughs> and so I actually have a few passages earlier in Exodus that I haven't done yet. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I might have a little more confidence otherwise, you know, cause I obviously learned so much from everybody when I do those sessions, but I do recall that there is an initial, of course, there's a lot of, I don't know if the terminology is used, but during the plagues they're they freak out cause they get hit with right. more work. That's true. So at least in terms of that, and then with the manna, there's some debating in the lead up to the manna. There is the language of grumbling or murmuring in chapter 16. Right. And there was a previous water episode where they throw in the 14. thing in the right. Done. Yes. Or is it, yeah. Or is that 14? 14 or 15. One of the two. Is 14 is the cross. The and then there's the manna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first water incident. The, 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 there's a big, another big water incident in, in Numbers. Uh, the, the one where they he throws the bush in the bitter water. Oh no, yeah, that's at the end of fifteen. So that one's already happened yeah, too. Got it. So when they came to Mara, they could not drink, and Mara means bitterness. So that's another yeah, one of those. In, starts with an M. Named after yes. Um, oh, and it is named after the. It's interesting that that's a parallel actually. This passage it's yes. named after the problem, not the provision. Yeah, good. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Ooh, that I and that's should, the uh, maybe tuck that, that one away. Sermon yeah, part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tuck, tuck that <laughs> pin in that. Um, what you know? What shall we drink? They cried out to the Lord. Interestingly, there. No, no. Then he cried out to the Lord. My bad. So no, they brought their they brought their their problem to him. But yeah, there's not a sort of threat of death there. And mm-hmm. in manna, let me just look real quick. Congregation grumbled. They have grumbling. Why is, you know, verse three of chapter 16 is sons of Israel said to them, you know, would that we had died in the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. You've brought us out in the wilderness to kill us in this whole assembly with hunger. But I would look at what Moses says to the Lord, you know, no, I, I, there's no fear of being stoned yet. I don't see that equivalent, which is what you were asking. Yeah. This is an escalation now. 17. Yes. He's been impeached. But not yeah. removed, <laughs> right? They, yeah, he—he's on his last leg here, which I think is really cool. That then Moses is told by God to pass before the people, or I don't yes. know what the translation says. But there's sort of this like, uh, go face your people, and I—I I know anyone in leadership. And and again, I think it goes all the way to parenting. Even when there's a child up in a room that you know hates your guts right now because of what you just talked about, going into that room and talking to them on their bed when they don't even want to look at you is sort of facing what you know what yeah. Moses faced. It and a leader that that has to get up on a Sunday after something happened on a Thursday, right? Yeah, or a school a, a teacher in a classroom where something happened last period and now they have to get up in front of those students after the passing period. And they know there's been rumors in the past, right? I'm just saying anybody that has to face the people that have a dispute with them has to do what, and, and, and God says pass before them 
take the staff, which I think the staff has to call back to, since we're trying to explode out of 17, call back to all the ways God's already provided, right? Starting with the, the he specifically talks about the Nile. Yeah, that was another random observation is why is it, why is the staff named for the Nile of all the things, you know, because it could have been the staff, right? Which river turned to blood, you put, yeah, yeah. or but the staff that the staff with which you turned to a snake, right? Or the staff that you lifted over the Red Sea, but it's named by God as the staff with which you touched the Nile. For some reason, that seemed to jump out at me. And that's, of course, the moment in which their enemies were destroyed. So it's probably ah. the most profound sort of, you know, all the other stuff was protective or demonstrative. But in that one, it was like they were being pursued. It's, it's the most dramatic moment, of sure. course. Uh, of oh, but it's, no, no, it's not that. It's not the Red Sea, though. The it's the Nile. So it's the beginning. Oh, it's all the I'm way sorry, to the beginning. No, you're okay. No, my oh, mind yeah, did the same thing. I, I did what you Nile. just did. When I read it. Yeah, I was completely. (laughs) So that means we have to emphasize that because of that. Yeah. We, when we think of Moses, we, we think of the movie, right? Where he's got his arms outstretched with the, and you're right. And he does do that too. So that would have been a good name. That would have been a good name. So why name it for the river? Is it because it's water? Is it because it's, he's turning, he turned water to blood and now he's going to turn an inanimate stone into water. Like it's kind of this. Oh man, yes, it's that's kind of this uh, um, magic staff moment. Mm-hmm. It's Dumbledoreish, and of course, they're longing for being back in Goshen, even though they were slaves, where they never uh, ran out of water. Um, yeah. they're by the Nile. Yeah. You know, yeah, boy, that's a good spot by you. That that's the well, that it struck it because, struck me too because I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, yeah, Red Sea, yeah, this 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 staff kicks butt and that was just a couple days before you know and, and it's like it no no no. this is way back to the beginning strike the rock right it's probably i don't Ooh, know but it's probably that's the same worth word. checking that's worth checking so it's a staff not only that he used but it, to strike the nile take it in your hand and go i mean this is the and of course the readers of this the staff's in the ark of the covenant so this is like yeah. a big deal it's not in the ark yet you mean the readers of this for us right right when they're yeah sorry i was just because they haven't made the arc yet (laughs) i'm saying like the readers when they first even read this the first readers of this would would absolutely connotate this with ooh, that's the staff that's in the The divine in the temple in the ark yeah are there two staves in the ark because I know Aaron's the one that budded is in the is in the ark. Did, did, did they put Moses' staff in there too? Oh, so it's I'm trying Moses, to remember. It's only Aaron. I don't know, man. I don't. And I, don't know, put, I don't know. They put a bowl of manna, right? Yeah, yeah. In the ark, yeah, and that's already referenced. Um, so even before, and that's even in the story. There's a reference to them keeping it as a testimony, but they they can't put it in the ark yet because there's no ark yet. So right, that, right, there right. are some. I wonder what happens to his staff. So his staff maybe is not, so it's not, it's Aaron's staff is the button. But I mean, Moses' staff repeats and repeats and repeats, you know, and he does strike the rock again in numbers. It's up on the mountain where he died because he had to have it. Probably, probably old guy getting up that, getting up Mount Nebo, but that staff, he strikes the rock, but God instructed him not to strike it, but to just speak. So that's what's in. That's in numbers. That's the one that gets him in trouble. right? Right. And I didn't go read that for this but it's different than this yeah i mean passage. well because he so, god actually says 
Here he's instructed to strike it. So that's a conflict where you're like in numbers. It's very easy to presume it's because he struck the rock, right? Because in numbers, it tells him to speak to the rock. Yep. Yep. And he does what he had done before. Although the details are very similar. I mean, otherwise, yeah, we don't have to. um, Yeah. But I I do think that we should talk about that a little. Yeah. Right now we're trying to explode out from 17. Yeah, I think we should. And and just for those fairly new to this, this is, this is what's referenced as why God said, you will not enter the promised land because of the incident at Mount Meribah. Yeah. In numbers 20, but it happens at the same place. So that's why it's weird. Right. So you would need to do some thinking through if you're going to talk about Moses in this, and let's, if we're talking about the broader context, we'll talk about sermon next. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but the broader context, you got to make a decision is like, is that about the same situation? I think it is. And so I think then you can draw some conclusions. Like why was Moses, um, is it as simple as he should have spoke to the rock and not hit it? Or is it a bigger thing? Is it, is it about Moses not that he really, he really let himself over to despair and even the naming of the place in verse Mm. seven that he, he really embraced the doubt and fear that starts of course, all the way back with, with his call, right? He's, he's a leader that's doubting his call, not just, when he's in the wilderness in the burning bush, but all the way till now, they aren't going to listen to me. And then God says, passed in front of them. And then the staff's the key component of it, right? And he's going to use the staff to prove that he's still in charge, God. But then, you know, does something happen in Moses's heart here that is a break hmm. between in his faith? Is there a break in his leadership that says, Hey, you really, you need to sort of, and I wonder if it's, it's also not entering the promised land is not as big of a deal for me as though it was this massive punishment. Some of it is just, Hey, sometimes a leader needs to call it quits. Yeah. Sometimes you have gone through the grinder in what you've done, especially when you're in the wilderness with the Israelites that you've gone through the grinder that that just sort of like, maybe Moses just got to retire. Yeah, it's, fit, it's a fitness for leadership thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the language from Numbers 20, and your your hypothesis will be fun. We can debate it a little. That'll be a good topic for the remainder of this middle section. Numbers 20, verse 12, Adonai said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough. This is NIV, so I'm not doing any close translation here, but because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So even just that, a quick read there, you're right. right. There's no explicit. Is it, you know, in, in the, in the narrow context of numbers 21 through 13, alongside the narrow context of Exodus 17, one through seven, if all you had was these two texts, you would immediate out of context. You just pulled them out on a parchment. You would immediately think these are two versions of the same incident. These are two traditions, right? Kind of like in the Gospels where we have these parallel, right? Right. Um, where you have kind of a slightly different version. Like, was it in Bethany or was it like up in Galilee when the lady like washed, you know, wiped his feet? And uh, was it, you know, like who was it? And biblical uh, canonical writings are not, they're not clueless to these tensions, but they seem quite comfortable just having them sitting there next to each other. You know what I mean? 
Um, you they have love with, the debate this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you you see it in the you see it in the yeah the rabbinical the, circles and in the David story where like you know there's the 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 anointing immediately followed by he's like playing music to soothe Saul, but then like the next chapter Saul has no idea who he is in the Goliath story. Um, and so they seem like, again, two traditions of the kind of origin story of David that the canon puts together and doesn't solve for us. Right. Which which for me actually grows my faith in the emergence of scripture. Absolutely. Anybody who was trying to pass off a fable would never allow this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Correct. Oh yeah. I, Ken was the one who influenced me on that the most. Ken Shank, a regular on the show, of course, and friend of our, both of ours, uh, friend of the show, Ken Shank. Uh, he's the one who helped me see that the inconsistencies in scripture actually are a sign of their, their truthfulness exactly. <laughs> and yeah. not the other way around. Right. So don't try to, don't try to solve it. Don't try to iron right. it out. It's, it's sort of I mean, like, you have to take a, YouTube... you have to have a take to preach it. Right. So if you're yeah, going to preach why... these as a United sermon, you're totally. going to have to make that decision. But it it's doesn't why have to be a the permanent Gen view. Z trusts YouTube more than Star Wars, <laughs> right? All of the, you know, the, if there's just one little tiny error, you know, or plot hole in a, in a big movie production, they get scathingly rebuked, but the wow. sort of the, the wisdom of the community, right? The crowd sourcing of knowledge is more trusted now. And I don't think that that's an invention of the internet. That's just human nature. Right. We, you know, when you have, a thousand people that talk about something and 950 of them say similar thing. That's pretty well trusted. Right. Uh, whereas you have one person say something and there's even one little problem with it. It's really easy to pick apart. So, Oh yeah. No knowledge always works by consensus. It's just how, how is it mediated? Yeah. And is there an elite authority that decides, you know, versus, so we should, right? I think what you looked up is we should take numbers at its word that, there's an issue of honor. There's an issue of the respect of God and that something happened in this incident, either explicitly to our knowledge or behind the scenes in Moses' heart. Cause it's mm-hmm. possible there's stuff going on in Moses's heart. That's not displayed for us in this passage. And so I would say, and, and this will maybe lead us into the conversation about how to communicate it. This for me is an illustration. If you're going to go to the Moses punishment or withdrawal from, from the promised land that he didn't get to enter. It's, you got to guard your heart when you go through these processes of tension and dispute that, that when you have fear, like Moses did here, it can cause you to actually lose faith or lose an honor of God. Not just, it's not a leadership problem in the end. It's a faith problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is straight up in the numbers passage, because you did not believe in me or trust me that this is about, this is about faith. And, and on the surface, like you said, we're seeing the, you know, I'm thinking of Jesus language. You have little faith. We're seeing the the small faith, the little faith of the people, but then under, underneath there's the, the cracks in Moses own faith is what I'm hearing you say. And you, you see that then in his, if you want to take that, line that that read you can see a bit in there even his line they're about to kill me you know what shall i do to these people a little more and they will stone me he's he's starting to to lose faith in how this is going to play out and of course the placement of this story is relevant right i mean 
they've been saved from the Red Sea, but I mean, they haven't had the covenant in chapter 19. They haven't had the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, all that big stuff still to come. This is pretty early in their desert formation. Um, True. And that's why the numbers, I mean, there's a lot of little, I mean, who knows? We don't know these things for sure, but there's a lot of these little random stories in numbers, like numbers has a hard structure to follow. And there are some stories there where you could make a case that that's maybe even an older or, or standalone oral tradition. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Because Exodus is a lot smoother in the way that the narratives yeah, yeah, unfold. Yeah, so you could kind of see how like the, the water out of the rock story kind of gets inserted into the Exodus story, but gets smoothed yeah. out to fit the context. So there, so in the numbers one, there's a reference to the staff being in the tabernacle and he goes and gets it. Uh, which parallels what you were thinking. It's not in the ark, but it's I in hear the tabernacle. What you're talking about. So, so, and there's a reference, and and there's a reference to Aaron. You you so saw me quote that, but Aaron hasn't been placed as priest. So you could see how, if you wanted to bring it into the Exodus story, you'd have to airbrush out all those Got later it. references. Got it. So maybe that would be a way of making the case for your point, which is to think of these as kind of two versions of one story, right? Um, and uh, and there's there's pluses and minuses to each, and and I would say to our listeners. You don't need to make a, my Mandy always teases me on looking. I'm always looking for my new forever. Like, Ooh, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to, Ooh, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to go cycling on, on Thursdays at six. Like if something goes well, right, I right. say, Ooh, let's do this every Thursday. Right. I, I like, you know yes. me, I'm real like that you, way. You definitely would have built the tabernacles with Peter <laughs> at the <transfer laughs> That's Oh, absolutely. This is really great. It is good for us <laughs> to be here. Right. Yes. So new forever. So I'm tendency with interpretation. It's very important right. to avoid the new forever as a preacher. All you need, but you sometimes have have to make interpretive decisions for the week. Got it. Right. Right? So just make a call. So so use the word if a lot. It could be. uh, If if so, then, right, those are all great uh, uh, preacher tools. And you can can milk that a lot, right? If if indeed what what is happening is blank, then you can say a whole lot of sentences after that. And then you run with it. You're right. And you don't have to put the if before every sentence. You just put it at the top of a paragraph and then run. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, and, good and of point. course, what Exodus does hinge so well with the numbers, you know, story and and with the eventual judgment that is passed upon Moses's leadership because of this, or at least giving him early retirement, <laughs> is is the last phrase: "Is the Lord in our midst or not?" Oh my goodness! Yes, that is the most potent line, and frankly, I feel like has to be the subtitle to preaching this passage. Yeah. Whatever you call it, it's, is the Lord in our midst or not? Because there is a doubt that runs through this whole story and with the consequences of it. And you're right. It's he, Moses, in the, just the grammar of the passage, Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, verse 6b, and then 7, he, he, Moses, named it this way because they, the Israelites, but of course he is among them as their leader. So he lives on the the boundary between the Lord and the people. So sometimes he's associated with the Lord. He's part of the problem that they're, he's part of who's being an accusations being made against him and God. Yeah. But in another, and and he, on first glance, it's these stupid people didn't, didn't believe. Yes. Right. But there's an implicit sense of, he might also be caught up in that. Yeah. That loss of faith too. Indeed. Is the Lord really among us or not? What a Mm. question. Mm. Yeah. And notice it's like, even asking that is the testing, you know? And, and that's where I think it's some preaching opportunity because you, the people are asking this question a lot 
individuals mm. because of their lives. And I would say in this year of COVID, of deep racial strife, um, and even even protests and rioting, um, and of deepening and and you know almost violent levels of political uh, dispute. Um, to use the word of this chapter, I think we need to ask, is the Lord in the midst or not? And so that's how I would preach this this year and probably any year, because we're always asking that question. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, that sets us up good. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. All right, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with David Drury, and we are looking at Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Let's explore some sermon starters. Well, I mean, a, a, a fun a fun title is The Wilderness of Sin, although it doesn't have a lot of textual. It's, a, it's an eye catcher. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the word for sin in Hebrew doesn't sound like the... <laughs> Yeah, but it's right. still fun. It's just, I don't mind it. I always love that. But uh, works I mean, in English. Go it, for it. <laughs> I, yeah, I said it already. Um, the whole idea of, of doubt and is the Lord in our midst or not? I feel like that. You almost start with begin with the end in mind, uh, testing yes. and dispute. Um, I do think the season we live in, and I don't think it's going away. It, you know, when COVID mm-hmm. goes away, when there are no longer protests in the streets, when the election is over we're all fooling ourselves. If things are all going to be perfect, um, we will still have division. We will still have dispute um, in our ranks. And so I think sometimes we don't choose these kind of passages because they have some complexity to them. Sometimes if you, if you're wanting to topically hit the tensions in the world, which every preacher should not run from that, but say, Mm -hmm. what does God have to say about it? These are the kind of passages to preach and live in the tension, mm-hmm. not avoid the tension, but say tension's not new friends. What is, what do the people of God need to do about these tensions? And so like acts, acts is a good example. Sometimes we preach, we preach acts, acts two and Pentecost and don't preach the tension points in acts. Yeah. And so everybody that ever talks about Acts, it's like this beautiful story. And I think yeah. we might preach Exodus the same way. It's because, and of course, those two have parallels. Exodus is sort of this beautiful story of all these miracles of provision. It's like, well, this is an amazing provision. It's probably one of the most amazing specific miracles. It's a rock that they just by striking it, water pops out of it. He yeah, creates, yes, yeah. You know, you know, he creates old faithful out of a rock, like with a stick. This is crazy. Yet, it's the moment in which uh, Moses seems to lose faith. And so you, earlier you talked about, there's a lot of story to come after this. Well, it's like, well, you know what? This is also, these are the people that saw more miracles in their lifetime than any other people in history. Mm-hmm. And they still lose faith. And even Moses who saw them all and did most of them, even he loses faith. And so I think getting into the tension, I do feel like people in this season are having existential crisis about who they are and what they believe. We have massive amounts of, of just uh, emotional uh, you know, challenges and psychological issues. Uh, these are all challenges all the time, but I think right now would be a great time. So if I was the gutsiest preacher ever, I would preach this for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. In 2020, 
right after the elections, before you have a vaccine, uh, when people are still protesting in the streets. Um, you know, I'm saying this right now in, in late summer, but I think... Yeah, and this will drop, um, I think, end of September. So I yeah. would I would say that people are thinking, how am I going to talk about Christmas in this season? And what I would do is start with, is the Lord in our midst or not? And then end with Emmanuel. God yeah. is with us. Yeah. Uh, the answer is to a people that were perennially asking, is the Lord in our midst or not? The answer is Jesus. And that happens yes, to be is a us. particular allegorical interpretation that is explicitly made and authorized by the New Testament. Since Paul says in First Corinthians, the rock is Christ, right? He, he, he specifically identifies this rock as being the Messiah oh, beforehand, um, which then I parallels the living that. water gushing forth uh, from him in the book Ooh. of John. And so I think there's a place for that. Again, if it's a quick fix, then it's resolving the tension too easily. But if it can be in the midst of the tension, Good um, point. That's a that can be a, a beautiful observation at a Christmas sermon or at any 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 time of the year. I mean, in some ways, if it's if it's going to be hard to preach on Christmas, then I mean, it's hard if it's hard to preach the Christmas gospel, then it should already be hard to preach the gospel in September, right? So start get start practicing. <laughs> Good point. Um, with that in mind, even if you don't make it explicit for your hearers, right? Is the Lord among us or not? And it's so wild because if I just took that question out of context, it seems like a statement of of seeking. There's an openness to it, a hope. You know, maybe He is. Um, but in the it, with in the context, you know, they tested Adonai, saying, "Is Adonai among us or not?" It's this kind of. It seems to be seen as as problem to even ask this question. And the phrasing of the question is assuming the likelihood of a no, or even just neutral. I mean, I think of James when he talks about doubting, when you have faith, when you pray, do it with faith, not like doubting and doubting. You see the word double hiding in the word doubt. They have the same three, uh, the first four letters are the same. And that's, that is actually rooted in Latin. That's not me just guessing uh. like, well, <laughs> uh, uh, the, 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 cause doubt isn't the unfaith. That's the opposite, right? Doubt is 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 doubling. I'm double-minded. I'm going between faith and unfaith or between two claims that oppose each other. And that's the imagery James uses in James 1, right? The like okay. like a double-minded like, you know, on yes, the wave. Yes, double-minded man on a wave back and forth. And that's what you see in this question. This is the classic doubt question. Is the Lord among us or not? I'm not saying it's not an atheist statement. Mm -hmm. The Lord is not among us because there is no Lord to believe in. That's atheism. Right. Right. And agnosticism right. would be probably not, but could be. I wouldn't want to rule it out. I have enough epistemic humility to know that maybe there could be a God. Right. right. Um, deism is there's a God, but he's not with us. Right. Doubt right. is this middle spot of, you know, right. The Lord could be or not. I, it could go yeah. either way. Right. It's, but faith is not totally. faith and faith isn't even one notch over. Probably is. Right. Faith is, right. No, he is with us, no, even if I can't see it. And there is a lack of faith on both sides, Moses and the people, until the right. water comes forth. And that really gets to the sort of getting people in their sandals of the people of Israel or Moses. One temptation a preacher will have with this passage is to see themselves as Moses and yep. the Israelites as their congregation. And yep. you'll have to resist that 
dramatically yep. and to always preach the we of the passage. Good. Meaning, yeah. meaning we are the Israelites or we are Moses. This is why I kept bringing up parenting. Yeah. Parenting is a, a good one because oftentimes you, when, when, it, when a passage like this one, which is so intrinsically about leadership, we can start to preach to the people that own businesses or who yeah. are um, who are only in roles that are so clearly a leader, right? And and a preacher is so clearly a leader, it it can alienate those who are yep. not clearly a leader. And so parenting helps with that. Even somebody that just has a younger sibling or even a friend that copies their behavior as a seven-year-old has yeah. influence. And so we do, and the, the, the reality is, is everybody that has frustrations has the same problem. It's frustrations with other people that are grumbling. And so even children have that with other children, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so you can put the, so getting them in the shoes to, to feel this is important, especially since we, you know, you don't want a preacher to like, it would be very easy to tell jokes as a preacher about the grumbling congregation, which has done a lot with Exodus. And I just would caution. Yeah towards preaching that does that too much, it might get a quick joke, but it undermines the whole application of the passage into a sort of us, them preacher congregation dynamic. Yeah. I had a preaching prof who said the most important thing with your illustrations is not that they're and your jokes. It's not that they're particularly good or memorable. It's not even if they fit really well, they could be a little awkward. It's that you make sure that the spirit and vibe is not in contradiction to the spirit and vibe of your sermon as a whole. He's like, that is the most important thing is with illustrations is do no harm. Because sometimes you stumble on a really great one that's going to be really funny or really gripping and memorable, but it's really actually not in alignment. Alignment. I'm going to make it briefer. That's the word. The illustrations, the content form, but the spirit, most of all, the spirit has to be in alignment with the spirit of the whole sermon. Right. Totally. Now that's a really good warning, Dave, especially you're right. Cause it's so, especially Moses stories are really easy to get into uh, a little bit of an us and them dynamic on accident very easily. And, and, you know, you, if you start, if you, if the, if the opening illustration is from sports and all your real world illustrations are from bosses who run companies yeah. Okay. That's okay. You've spoken to some people and maybe if you're doing a retreat for business leaders, great. Or even a pastor's mm-hmm. retreat, maybe you do the little, the grumbling congregation, right. but even there, you're going to need to flip it. You're going to need to flip it and right. say, but how are we a part of this too? You know? And that's where a pastor, you know, I've had that, that thought of like, okay, I need to switch over and use an illustration from my life where I had a parenting challenge or maybe a story from when I was younger, when I was a student and trying yeah. to lead other people, something that's more relatable because yeah. You're just not the, the people in your congregation have not led a congregation. Yep. And so the story of here's me and you, it's just distancing. And so as much as yeah. you can come alongside the listener and say, let's all talk as though we're all the people Israel or we're all in the seat of Moses. Uh, we, and we do, we all have all of those. And then you come alongside them from the pews or the, or the, in these days, their couches sometimes, even while they're, they're connecting with a live stream. Um, yeah, I could imagine so yeah, that, a story a could be really good riffing off that to to go through our own lives as preachers and and for those who aren't going to be preaching a text but just listening to this for their own edification, you can mm-hmm. think about this for yourself. 
when is a time when and start it put yourself on the side of the the, the congregation the people the people of israel mm-hmm. say when have i brought a reeb an, an accusation a, a dispute mm-hmm. when have i mm-hmm. you know right. um put yourself on that side because my mind immediately as a dad you know i'm immediately thinking of like when my son not too long ago like wrote up on the board can we talk about Chores like, like, like they need to be changed, right? Like he felt like he had That's too much. <laughs> yes. That was his complaint, his dispute. Um, it can be translated complaint, you know, That's awesome. um, he was raising, a, a, an objection that his chores were harder than his sisters. Right. And, and he was right actually, you know, and, and we talked it through and, and made a change. Right. But you but guys like, have a great family structure. You got like a whole Sanhedrin going on over well, there. Well, I mean, what do you? Th- what, what, Our house is just chaos. Yeah. Well, yeah. I do have I teenagers, though. We had a lot more chaos in the early years than you guys did because <laughs> you guys were so chill <laughs> that it was. I remember being over at your house one time and you guys saying, All right, kids, go to bed. And they just got up and went to bed. And we're like, what is this? What is this ma- mystical magic you have over yes. your children? Yeah, well, we all have our our good things and our bad things. Maybe they just wanted to get away from us to the privacy of their bedroom. Perhaps, but I, but anyway, yeah, I, I, we do yeah. have a tendency towards policy and parliamentary law in my house. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, and a shocker that I would not. I think <laughs> there is a sense in which it, this is a harder <clears throat> passage to preach, and sometimes it's helpful. People, it's funny how when you preach texts like this, it unlocks something though. When you preach them, I oftentimes find when you preach a hard text or a text that has some more complicated nuances to it, a preacher really can kind of uh, unlock the interest of the people in a way. And then I also think for those of us that um, tend that are not preachers, that you know, and I don't preach uh, very often at all in my life and work. So for me, yeah, me studying more, a passage yeah. like this, studying a passage like this does a lot for my spiritual life Yeah, because it just, rather than going back to, you know, the Psalm I've heard a thousand times already and saying, how does this apply? And I would say this has more application to my world right now, where like yesterday I sat in a circle with, uh, with eight other people from eight different or seven different denominations. And we're, they were all having existential crisis and doubts Mm -hmm. and wondering about, what their world is going to be like a year from now and um, and wondering whether they're going to make it and what are they going to do in September, right? Not just today. And I feel like um, this passage really has that sense of like, is the Lord in our midst or not? And I think that we can address this and learn from it in a way to say, man, this, this is nothing new. And I think one of the things to learn is, and you brought up the struck the Nile moment earlier is to remember what God yeah. already did for you. And I feel like we lose a lot when we don't sort of, the Israelites seem so good at rehearsing the acts of God in the yeah. past. And I don't know that I've done that in my family well enough to say, mm. God really provided. Do my kids even really know how God provided for us in the past? Or do they only know the current level of either provision or strife? And, huh. uh, and so to kind of bring up, bring up the past, bring up the struck the Nile moment. And maybe, maybe the Israelites had forgotten about that. Oh, right. God did crazy stuff back then. And yeah. you know, when you're hungry, it's hard to remember miracles. You're in the moment. When yep. you're thirsty, it's hard to remember. You used to, yeah, that Nile you used to live by, 
well, yeah, God turned it to blood and now he's going to turn this rock into a fountain. Yeah. I think that remembering is a, a good call. Cause I mean, in some sense, is the Lord among us or not? The answer is it's simplistic to say, of course he is. He's om- omnipresent. Well, they're not asking that. This isn't a philo- They're not asking a philosophical question, right? They're thirsty. And, and actually the answer of, of trust and faith is not first and foremost, well, let's see if there's a rock we can hit. The first answer is, well, he has been with us, hmm. right? Um, he was with us. So the only right. question is not, mm. is, is not, is the Lord among us? It's, is he still among us? Right. right. Or, or has he, he withdrawn among us? Right. Is he, was now he among, among us? us? Is he among us? And then maybe even will be, will he, yeah, will he stay with us? Maybe why the livestocks are brought up because the livestock is sort of your traveling McDonald's, right? That's right. That, that's how you're going to eat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And of course the festivals that God institutes in Leviticus that's after this, I mean, in one sense you can think, okay, the laws of Leviticus were determined from time immemorial. Okay, probably. Um, but maybe they were determined from time immemorial because of God's foreknowledge. And the way it plays out actually in the story is maybe God's like, man, these Israelites need to like, they forget a lot. <laughs> so so I'm going to have a bunch of festivals, right? Right. And of course, the Israelites are a microcosm for all of God's people, right? Yeah. So we don't have to insult them to say, yeah, humans, we forget a lot. And yeah. we need help. There's only going to be a reminded. few guys that remember all 613 of these things, and they're going to need tassels to pull it yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do these festivals where even the children will get it. And we remember the Passover. We remember yeah the the Red Sea. And, yeah, and we, we do this in our Nile. culture: the Fourth of July, Martin Luther King Day, you know, Memorial Day, Labor Day. Uh, we we do we we have these sort of quasi cultural festivals to remember stuff that sort of teaches it in our own way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to realize is that secularism uh, functions in such a way that we begin to almost disciple ourselves and our children and our congregations in, in the remembrances of the secular society, as opposed to, and this is the benefit we have as churches by having a Sunday uh, time of fellowship is we get to help remind people yeah. of the non-secular uh, remembrances of how God has provided for us in the past. And this is why an individual congregation, why an individual family tree bringing up that stuff. I mean, it was fun for me. My daughter's doing a paper on something in the family and it was fun to her. She got to write about our, our, our great grandfather, Walter mm-hmm. Drury uh, in a paper she just wrote this week. And so it was fun for her to be able to remember, even though she, frankly, she wasn't remembering anything I was remembering. I had heard it. She had never even heard the story to be able to remember how God provided in the past uh, is a way for her to sort of have that experience of it's sort of her struck the Nile. Yeah. Thing. Which is then the mouth of God, right? God only has one line in this story. The dialogue mm, is, you know, and, and it's verse five and six, right? So the word of the Lord in the narrow sense is verses six and five and six, right? Uh, it's well, well said, you know, pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. We haven't even talked about that, but, yeah. which is the, the mountain of God. 
and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. So mm-hmm. God is the one who makes that, that reference. He's the one who steps them out of just the, the, the need of the moment to right. say, I've been, I've, I've been with you before. I am with you now and I will be with you again. Right. I am who I am. I am who I was. I am who I will be. Wow. And that's your structure of a sermon even right there. Mm-hmm. I think you could, you could pack it in just like you just said was, is, will be. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we've got enough themes and, and definitely some suggestions about yeah. what to do and not do with a sermon. So I hope that, uh, that that's, uh, of some edification for all and equipping for some who might be, uh, preaching on this text someday. So beautiful. Good to converse about it. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, uh, as a final word, there's a reference to this in, uh, in, in Psalm. There's a short Psalm. That's one of my faves. Can I end with that as kind of our, you know, three points Please. in a poem? <laughs> and we'll nice. end with this. So <clears throat> this is Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the God who is the rock of our salvation. <laughs> let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship, and let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, oh, that today you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who are in error in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger that they shall not enter into my rest. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Dave. And thanks to all of our listeners for uh, chiming in. And uh, thanks to Todd and Eric and all the production work they do. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Todd for donating that theme music. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>